Good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest edition of Sharing the Victory, program sponsored by the WVU chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, WVUFCA.org. That's the site to go to if you want to learn more about the organization. You can uh, contribute financially, and you can listen to previous shows of Sharing the Victory. Kirby Myers has been with us for about a month now, the FCA campus director, although he's been in town a little bit longer than that and has kind of uh, worked uh, with the WVU football team and some of the other male fall sports teams as well. And uh, Kirby, first of all, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. You're acclimating well to Morgantown and WVU because you're, you're golden blue all the way down to your sneakers. Yeah, I'd like to thank the equipment staff, <laughs> the football team, for, for dressing me today. That's good. That's good. So, uh, again, you guys are busy. This is the fall time. Uh, the winter sports are coming up, so it's a little bit of a crossover, but it's good. Uh, I know you, you don't necessarily consider it work trying to reach young people and share the gospel. Man, it's, uh, it's ministry. It's, it's a joy, a pleasure, and privilege to do what I do. Mm -hmm. I, get to, I love what I do, and I get to do what I love. Kirby's new to town. Teresa Gono has been with the FCA for several years now, probably 10. 10 years. Just yeah. celebrated 10. I just get that was a wild guess, and I got it right. But yeah, we've known Teresa on this show through the years. And uh, again, if you're appreciative of their work and if you want to help them reach out to the athletes on campus, there's no better way than to go to the website WVUFCA.org. And Kirby comes in on these Sunday mornings to give us an idea as to what the athletes learn, what do you approach the athletes with? And it's straight out of the King James version of the of the Bible, right? It's the gospel. Uh, ESV, but, you Okay, know. well, close enough. <laughs> and, uh, and again, we're going to Sunday school. Yes, we are. Thank you, Kyle. And uh, it's great to join you again on this Sunday morning, and we're back in the Gospel of John, and this is what I'm teaching on Monday nights for our FCA huddle, which is an all-sport huddle meeting. And uh, so you get to kind of hear what we're what we're looking at each week. So today I want to look at verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, which says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Well, last time we were together, we were in John chapter 1, verse 3. We looked at the pre-incarnate work of Jesus Christ, and um, we spent all of our time looking at that one verse. We had previously examined in verses 1 to 2 that Jesus was in the beginning, that he is eternal, that he is uncreated, that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that he had perfect fellowship with the Father, and that Jesus was God from the beginning, and the fact that Jesus has always been God. And then last time we looked at the fact that Jesus is the creator of all things, from verse 3. That doctrine is under attack today. Many are giving in to Darwinian evolution and to theistic evolution and denying the biblical account of creation. And that's not only taking place in society and in culture, but in secular universities and colleges and in secondary schools, but also in Christian schools and universities and seminaries. And most alarming, this is taking place in the church. I received an email several years ago 
when I was a pastor in Indiana from someone who had listened to a sermon I gave on John chapter 1, verse 3. Um, this friend of mine had a, a son in college in the state of Indiana, Indiana, was going to a religious institution, and those in the administration where he attended would tell you that it was a Christian school. And this young man was taking a theology class that was required by the school, and he was telling his dad about some of the weird language that he has heard in class from his professor. And the father was curious and asked for more information, and the son explained how they had learned that there is a reference to multiple gods in Genesis chapter 1 because of the language that says, let us make man in our image. That's Genesis 1. We read that together last week. And the students protested, saying, that is a reference to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, not multiple gods. But the teacher disagreed, saying, no, this is multiple gods. This lady was also teaching that the creation account found in Genesis 1-2 is a myth. It's a myth to help us understand early origins, and that it is not to be taken literally. It's just a myth. And so the father did a good job explaining and defending what the Bible says about creation, and this is what we must all do here in Morgantown, in West Virginia, and wherever the Lord might take you. The Bible declares that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, is the agent of creation, that all things came into being through Jesus, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now we get to verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the author of life. Jesus is the giver of all life. All things came into being through him. All things have their existence because of him. He is indeed the creator and the sustainer of all things. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Christ himself gives to all people life, life and breath, and all things. In this passage, the light which resides in the Word, Jesus, is not said to be given to men directly by the Word, but it is granted somewhat indirectly through the life which they have. John says the light was the light of men. And here we see a relationship of the Word, or Jesus, to mankind generally. John deals with this again later in the beginning of this chapter in verse 9 where he says, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So I believe that what John is saying here is this, all life of whatever sort came into being because of Jesus, because of the creative force that result resided in the word. And whatever kind of life one possesses provides that person with light. The highest kind of life to be received from Christ is eternal life, and this provides the greatest spiritual light for us. But all men everywhere possess some kind of life from their Creator, and their human life provides them with the, high, with the light of reason and conscience. Listen to these verses from Romans, Romans 1, 19 because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Romans two fourteen and 15, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness in their thoughts, 
alternatively, alternately, excuse me, accusing or else defending them. This light alone is not enough to save them, but it is enough to condemn them and to leave them without excuse. Romans 1, 18 to 20 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. You and I probably both have friends or family members who claim they are atheists. Atheists say that they do not believe in God. But when we read in here in Romans 1, we see that God does not believe in atheists. All men know and understand there is a God because God has made it evident to them. God has made that clear to them. But instead of believing, they suppress the, tr- the truth. They push it down. It's like me when I was little. I had a, a little jack-in-the-box toy. I don't know if that I owned it or if it was in the church nursery, but that thing used to scare me to death. You know, I would, I would turn the crank, and that clown would pop out of the box, and I would, it would scare me and startle me every time. And I learned to put my hand over the top of the box, and I would just hold it there, and I would turn the crank, and then... The jack would come out of the box, but he wouldn't come all the way out because my hand was pushing down on the lid. And that is what men and women have done to the truth. They have suppressed it. They have pushed it down. They are unrighteous and they love their sin. They will not have a God over them who will hold them to an account to whom they will one day have to give an answer to. God has made himself known to all of us. There are no atheists who are listening in this morning. I'm not sure why they would listen to this program if they were a self-proclaimed atheist. There are no atheists on the earth because all men know and understand that God is the creator of all things. There are no atheists in heaven for those that are there are gathered around the throne and worshiping a holy God. And there are no atheists in hell for those who are there understand that they are there because they rejected what they knew was true and they are now facing the just anger and wrath of a holy and righteous God. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is the light. And we will see Jesus declare in John 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. The problem that we find on earth, however, is this. The light had to contend with darkness. And we will see this theme woven throughout the Gospel of John. Darkness refers to the realm of spiritual evil, the state of the world under Satan's sway after the fall. It is because men are born in sin and are dead in their sins and are sinful creatures and live in a world of spiritual darkness. It is for those reasons that they are not guided by the light of reason and conscience. Their imaginations are evil. Their thoughts are evil. Romans one twenty one says, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. The darkness is dark, and the darkness is real, but it could not and it will not extinguish the light. That is what John says here in verse 5. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some of your translations may read, the darkness did not overcome it. John is saying that the light and the darkness are presently together. The light that men have through the life that they possess has not abolished the darkness, nor has the darkness blotted out the light. And this helps us understand the response which occurs when we see the Word becoming flesh. This helps us understand the response that occurs when John the Baptist comes on the scene preparing the way for the coming of Jesus. And let's look now to verses 6 through 8. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. If you are new to the Bible, let me help you out just a little bit this morning. John the Apostle is the author of this book that we are studying, the Gospel of John. But he is about to tell us here about John the Baptist. These are two distinct people, and we need to keep that in mind as we study this book together. Here in the Gospel of John, when you see the name John mentioned, you will know this is a reference to John the Baptist, because John the Apostle, the writer of this Gospel, does not refer to himself by the name John. He instead refers to himself as the beloved disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. So the, with, with the remainder of our time this morning, I want to look with you at the life and the ministry of John the Baptist. And we're going to look at a few passages together. So here in verse 6, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look there at verses 5 through 17. And this is what it says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving... As a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So here in this birth announcement, we see the role and responsibility of John the Baptist. He will go as a forerunner before him, before the Messiah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Drop down, if you would, to verse 39. 
In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should have come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then if you would drop down to verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through, through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So there we see a little bit of the background of John the Baptist. Let's now talk about the purpose of John the Baptist. And we're there in the Gospel of Luke. So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Prophet Isaiah wrote these words about the coming of John. That is from Isaiah chapter 40. Let's talk a little bit about the ministry of John the Baptist, and we can find that beginning here in verse 7 of Luke chapter 3. He said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children, for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and, what, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. 
as the people were in expectation and were all questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So from the very beginning, John understood his ministry. He understood his role. That was to pave the way for the Messiah and to serve as the forerunner for the coming of Christ. John understood who he was. And we will see, see this soon in our study of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, it reads, This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent him to the priests and Levites, when the Jews sent him to the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Let's talk about the impact of John the Baptist. First of all, in a positive light, in Matthew 3, 5-6, we read that Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Hundreds and hundreds, perhaps thousands of men and women were coming to John to be baptized by him, confessing their sins, repenting and turning from their sins, looking to the coming of their Messiah, who would forgive their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. But there was a negative impact too. Not everyone was thrilled with John, because John spoke the truth. His goal was not to make friends and to be popular among the masses. His goal was to proclaim the coming judgment of God upon sin, and that was not always received. You can look up on your own Luke chapter 3, verses 18 to 20, and then Matthew 14, chapter, or verses 1 through 12, where we see that John was beheaded because of his boldness to confront sin in the lives of even people like King Herod of Judea. What about the legacy of John the Baptist? In John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And that is exactly what he did. John preached Jesus. He pointed others to Jesus, and that eventually led to his death. But his preaching was not in vain, and his ministry was not in vain. His, his preparation for the Messiah was not in vain. In Matthew 11, 11, we see an incredible statement from Jesus. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Again, this is spoken by Jesus. Among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. How many of you listening this morning were born of a woman? <laughs> All of you. Everyone who has ever been born was born of a woman. And Jesus says, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. What an amazing tribute from the Son of God. John was an amazing man. He lived well and he died well. He knew who he was and he knew what he was called to do. And he did it well. Not perfectly, but well. 
always pointing other people to Jesus Christ. And when he saw Jesus coming to him, he cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was a great man. He was the forerunner to the Messiah. No one else can say that they served in such a role. And Jesus said of him that there is no one greater than John the Baptist. But I want you to know on this Sunday morning, on this Lord's Day, that Jesus is greater than John. We see this here in the prologue, in the opening verses of this gospel, and we will see this throughout this great gospel as we work through the gospel of John together. Jesus is greater than John, and Jesus is greater than all. We're not going to look at the book of Hebrews, but when, we, when you turn to the book of Hebrews, the writer there is trying to present Jesus as better than anything. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Melchizedek. He is greater than all. And we will see in this great study that Jesus is the great I am. The next time we get together, I want to show you why Jesus is greater than John. And I want to just kind of curtail that message with the fact uh, why Jesus is better, better than anything that this world may have to offer. So thank you for joining us this morning, and I look forward to our time together again next Sunday. And uh, let's close with a prayer. Yes, sir. Father, we do thank you for this time where we could look into your word and, and look at the person and the ministry of John the Baptist. Lord, we know he was just a man, but Lord, he was a man that was set apart for a specific purpose, a specific role to pave the way, to clear the way for the coming of the promised Messiah. And so we thank you. We thank you for his humility, and we thank you for how he always pointed others to you, always denying that he was the Christ, that he was Elijah, that he was the prophet. And when he saw you, he said, Behold, look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. May we know that Jesus is greater than John and that he is greater than anything that this world has to offer us. May we trust him and may we live for him. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. Jesus is uh, Jesus was the greatest flesh and blood man to ever live because he never sinned. Yeah. I mean, that's exhibit 1A, right? Yeah. You know, I always I think about that a lot, Kyle. Like Jesus was not an only child. You know, he had brothers and sisters. I always feel bad for them because, I mean, he lived a perfect life. Can you imagine? And can you imagine if you were Jude and and Mary says to her son Jude, hey, Jude, take out the trash. And Jude was like, no. And Mary would have said, your brother Jesus would have taken out the trash. Jesus would have. I think that's where we get, what would Jesus do? That's where that comes from. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's uh, that's for next week. That's a lesson for next week. Uh, We've been listening to Kirby Myers, FCA campus director at WVU. And again, this is uh, that gives you an idea of uh, the type of teaching that goes on each and every week during the huddles when the athletes get together. And uh, the FCA is more than that. The FCA is uh, obviously they meet in large groups like that. And Kirby ministers to the football team and the coaches. Uh, give us an idea of a pregame chapel. Let's just say uh, you've got a Saturday evening game. Uh, like West Virginia had for the Oklahoma game, and uh, you do a chapel on the road Friday evening, right? Yeah, Friday night, um, right after right after the meal. And, uh, again, it's optional, uh, but we do have a good number of guys that come, and 
and I just try to give them give them something to focus on, something to think about before they go compete. Mm-hmm. And uh, if a soccer team plays on a Sunday afternoon, is there? Uh, I know some of those athletes meet in small groups, and they're probably part of the huddle as well. But what's offered to some of the other teams? Yeah, I think Teresa and I we want to we want to serve as many teams that want to be served, and so. Uh, that's something we're always looking to meeting with coaches just saying how can we serve you can we provide chapels and we'll do that as as coaches allow us in Mm -hmm. okay very good kirby myers fca campus director wvu fca again you can learn more about him and Teresa. that's the staff for the fca and again go to the website and you can uh, contribute financially if uh, that's what you are led to do as well and of course join us uh, every sunday morning for sharing the victory, sponsored by the WVU FCA, right here on 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJO.